Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we get to speak with Alberto Cruz. Born and raised in the streets of Washington Heights, New York, surviving was top priority. All else would not matter if you didn't make it out alive and without a criminal record. Alberto's best chance was to learn a skill and give it his all. Youth development became that focus for Alberto, working with the youth in his community, which led to more than what he could imagine. In his own words, a late bloomer, Alberto remained involved with youth work throughout his own youth, so much so that his own goals were pushed aside. In 2002, with the sudden passing of his younger brother in a house fire, Alberto found himself looking back on his own life and all that he was able to accomplish, but one thing was missing, a college degree, something that had been eluding him his entire life. Up until 2011, Alberto had gone through life without a degree. This, however, did not keep him from succeeding in youth development. First, by accepting the position of managing director at an award-winning after-school program serving over 450 children. This experience set the course for the development of leadership skills, which Alberto has stated has been his foundation for leading with a purpose. He has continued to improve on these skills as he progressed working for some of New York's largest and oldest youth-serving nonprofit organizations, including the Children's Aid Society, YMCA of Greater New York, and currently as Chief Program Officer for the Bronx House JCC. Alberto credits his upbringing in the streets of Washington Heights, along with his friends and mentors, that kept him on the right track to be able to succeed. Through this support, Alberto was able to finally obtain his bachelor's degree in 2012, and in 2016, he graduated from Fordham University with a master's degree in nonprofit leadership. Alberto finds himself extremely lucky and thankful for being in the right place at the right time to learn from some really good leaders the importance of cause-driven leadership. Alberto considers himself a coach, mentor, and lifelong learner, guiding teams through challenging situations for a better tomorrow. Welcome, Alberto Cruz. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yes. Alberto, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Sure. So my whole path to leadership actually began, I would say, like most people, working for an organization that was going through some changes. And little by little, I was taking on a few more responsibilities as the time went on. But I think the biggest shift came with the passing of my brother. Um, once he passed away, he was younger than me. And it was pretty uh, tragic time for us. 
but I'm during that time, hmm. yeah, it actually gave me the opportunity to get out of my own shell and decide to take on new challenges. I mean, one of those things was an opportunity to, to actually be part of a leadership staff at a small after-school program. From there, I was able to actually start developing my skills. Uh, I had a great boss at that time that would definitely acknowledge that uh, I had the potential and actually took the chance on me and decided that, you know, we should actually put you through the steps of formally learning about leadership. And so that's how I was able to then develop my network and continue on my own leadership path. And what are you doing now? Currently, I'm the chief program officer at Bronx House. It's a JCC, a Jewish Community Center. And right now I'm overseeing all of our programs. We have multiple programs uh, from early childhood to aquatics, fitness, after school programs, summer camps, performing arts school. We also run a senior center, which is not part of my purview, but you know, obviously we interact with each other and we try to do intergenerational programs. Wow, that's important work. Great. Now you mentioned you had a great boss. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know what made him great and what type she, of leader she. are you inspired by? So it was a she, even though her name was Kyle. Okay. Uh, the one thing that I learned from her, which I feel is one of the most important traits for a leader, is the personable approach that she had. Although she was obviously asking us to do things and, you know, stayed on top of us, what I call continuous gracious pressure. I love um, that continuous, gracious pressure. Pressure, yep. And so although she was doing that, and it was a great approach, especially for somebody like me who was a young person, first time in a leadership position, but what actually stuck out to me was that although she was my boss, she was very personable, very much in touch with what was I doing outside of the job and how I developed knowing that I needed handholding at the beginning, obviously, and she was willing to take that and actually spend time with me to actually make sure that I was being groomed in the right direction. That's actually what stood out the most to me. And that's actually what I continue to look for in leaders, someone who can be honest, but also be caring at the same time. Someone who is not just there to boss you around and not really help you get through a situation or at least put you in the right direction so that you can figure it out on your own, which is what Kyle did. She would not necessarily solve my issues, but she would definitely nudge me in the right direction and let me learn on my own, which gave me an opportunity to develop. Great. And how would you describe your leadership style now? Sure. My leadership style now is very much like I just described. I mean, I feel like I am a very empathetic leader at times. I definitely can be, I wouldn't say strict, but uh, more firm, I guess. But I always consider all the external factors that are taking place in any individual that I'm working with. That's because I truly believe that if the person is not fully here in their workplace, uh, whether it be mentally, physically, or you know, whichever other way, mm-hmm. that I'm not going to get the best out of them. So I always focus on trying to make sure that they understand that, yes, I am a leader, but I also want to be able to help you through some things. Um, it is a, an approach that takes a little bit more time um, and it takes more commitment, but it's something that I feel good about. And I feel like I am actually getting the most I can from the staff that I'm getting. I mean, I always tell them the same thing as I'm going through my supervision teams with them. Uh, you know, as your boss, I would love for you to stay here for the rest of your life, continue making my life easier. But as a professional, as someone in a leadership position, someone who really inspires to coach people, 
continuously considering if their path is to be in my position, learn my position, start working on those skills so that you can someday apply for that position, you know, whether it's in-house or outside another organization. I love that, Alberto, because you definitely value those you lead. Now, you mentioned coach. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that you had a great boss who poured into you, who mentored you, who coached you. Do you still have people in your life who coach you? I would say yes uh, and no <laughs> because of the workload now and the distance to most of the people that I grew up with are. It's a little bit of a challenge. But yes, every so often I will reach out to people that I've worked with in the past who are, I can actually bounce ideas off of. My past supervisor for my previous job, I still am in contact with her and I still bounce ideas through her just to make sure it actually makes sense. She's obviously now an executive director at another organization. So I value everything that she's telling me because she's where I eventually want to get to. So yeah, I would say that I still do that. I wouldn't say I've lost touch with a lot of the people from my past because I still am in contact, but just not as much as I used to be when I was working for them. For example, with Kyle, I'm still in contact. Actually, she became one of the, what we call sponsors in my wedding. <laughs> um, mm. She was somebody who I, I wanted to stay connected to. And I stopped working with her over seven years ago. You know, every so often we communicate. Um, I'm able to talk to her about things, but definitely not as much as, you know, I would like or how I used to. Great. Thank you so much for that. Now, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I think one actually that I read probably a few months back from Simon Sinek, leadership is not about being in charge. Leadership is about taking care of those in your charge. It's one that I felt, yes, that's exactly how I feel. You should be mindful of those who are working with you. I don't really like to say working for you because in essence, we really are working together to try to make something work. And in my field, especially, you know, running a nonprofit that serves youth, serves community. It's all about trying to work together so that we can provide the best service possible. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Now, what's the best advice you've ever received? Probably that not everyone's going to like you. <laughs> that was one I've heard through several of my former bosses because in my approach tends to put out there that I want to be liked. And it's mm -hmm. not necessarily the case, but it's still something that I had to um, accept and be prepared for. Some people are just not going to like you. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just like a, a learning style. Mm -hmm. People learn differently. So my style may not be a style that works with every single person. Some people may want more of a micromanager yes. where I'm trying to get the employee to a place where they are self-sufficient, self-aware, and self-reliant so that they're not depending on everybody else. So that's the one that even to this day, I have to like remind myself every so often, yes, you're going to make a decision that not everyone's going to like, and some people may end up not liking you. And I, I've come to terms with it, but I can't say that it's definitely not something that's it's on my mind when I'm making decisions. Right. And certainly there are going to be naysayers. And it hurts sometimes when people are against you and against the decisions that you've made. But the opposite of that would be a people pleaser, which is a dangerous place to be as a Yes, leader. correct. <laughs> right. Totally agree with that. Thank you. Now, what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build or sustain one? I mean, having a great team is one of those things that we all shoot for. And I've been lucky. Uh, I have to really say it. in most of the places that I've worked and I've been in a leadership position, I've had a good core group 
of people, which have made my life a lot easier in terms of not only, you know, making sure the culture of a place was functioning in a good, positive way, but also I'd be able to get others to kind of join us. I believe in, you know, mindset is a very important thing. I used to actually ask all my staff to read Carol Dweck's mindset just so that they know this is something that you have to actually believe. I mean, I would always describe it to them as I'm a big believer in self-fulfilling prophecies. If you think something's going to happen, chances are it's going to happen. <laughs> but why not think of it as a positive thing? Some of my training has been through Project Adventure, which does a lot of team building, problem solving activities. And that has been something that I have brought everywhere that I've gone being able to do staff outings that actually work specifically on staff culture and communication and basically try to understand each other. I mean, there's a lot of unsureness of how people react. And one of the big things that I've learned is that perception is huge. We may think we're saying something in one way, but sometimes people don't actually hear it that way. And so when you're working on culture and you're trying to get people to continuously work together, there has to be that understanding that some people just do not click with others. I mean, it's trying to assess that and trying to make sure that you're putting them in a position where they actually can work with the person that they're being paired up with, especially when you're working with a team. I mean, group dynamics is huge. One little piece can throw the whole team off. Um, and that's some of the activities that I actually do with them is actually having them go through that conflict and noticing how you know, one little step in the wrong direction can throw everything off. But maintaining it, I mean, for me, it's a lot of staff appreciation. Funny enough, I've been in my current position for five months, and I just organized for next week our first staff appreciation week. And some of the things that I've been hearing is we've never actually had anybody who has thought about us. You know, so for me, that's been the focus since I've been here. Besides making sure that the foundation for programs was stable and strong enough to continue to build programs, culture has been my biggest push at this point. And it's just mm -hmm. trying to make sure we're all on the same page. You brought up perception, and especially in the situation you are now, because their perception has been, we're not appreciated. Yep. So the fact that you want to change that perception and add value to them, that really speaks about how you lead well. So I want to honor you. Thank you. That's awesome. Now, you also said that mindset is really important to you. Mm -hmm. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have? Good question. For me, it's actually trying to remind myself on a daily basis why I'm doing this work. I tell my staff, and I usually preface it with, you know, this may sound very grandiose, but in reality, my ultimate job is to change the world. Um, and I, I love sound, that. Wait, Alberto, let's see with that for a minute. A little ripple yeah. can change the world. <laughs> and that's exactly it. I love that. I see it as we just have to try to affect one person at a time. If you can each do one person, who knows what it can trickle into. And that is something that I constantly remind myself. It's something that I, I truly believe and I feel like I need to try to do my best to make that change. I can't just push it out there and then not be the lead in trying to make that change. And so for me, it's trying to affect my staff, how they actually view others. One of the things that I'm actually trying to introduce now is having them understand that sometimes we deal with families who we have no idea what's happened before they come to pick up their children or come to do an activity with us. We don't know if they've just been fired, if they just received the ticket. And so when they come to you, they may come venting, you know, and right. you have to be prepared to just listen. You can't right. just take it as this is them hating me. We right. don't know what happened right. before they got here. 
and we have to be considerate of that. So then we can actually try to help them. People need to vent. I mean, it's an obvious thing. I think we all need that time, sometime throughout the day, week, uh, or that one person that we feel like they're just going to listen. I don't need you to say anything. Just going to listen. <laughs> hmm. You know, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I am 45 now. Oh, you look like a baby. You sent me this picture. I, I do. That's exactly <laughs> what I get that all the time. I mean, it's a, it's one of those things like, okay, whatever age you want to give me, that's perfectly oh, fine. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, uh, you're like 30. Okay, that's fine. So I love that you create that environment where people can come to vent. And you understand that there's a need to do that. But what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for all those things? Because that's a lot of energy that's exerted. You have to have a certain mindset to mm -hmm. be able to create that and absorb all that. Yes. So I started off with, you know, basically reminding myself, my, my mantra of, you know, making sure I'm trying to fix the world. But mm -hmm. besides that, obviously, throughout the day, whenever I get the chance, literally, I mean, we can call it whatever we want, meditation, breathing, whatever it is, I always make time for myself during the daytime, before the day begins, after the day begins to actually decompress, mm -hmm. um, especially coming in in the morning time, my ride over to work is my time to actually just try to breathe and not think about anything, prepare myself for the possibilities of what may happen on any given day. Like we've spoken, today has been one of those days that it's mm -hmm. like one thing after the other. Because I'm prepared and I know in my own mind, okay, we can do this. You know, it's not anything unusual. It may be a few more things than normally happen, but it's not something that's unexpected. So for me coming over, especially today, and it's being Friday, uh, it's one of those things, okay, it's Friday. We just need to be prepared that there's going to be some issues and <laughs> I'm going to get through it. And one thing that I always heard from one of my previous coworkers that she used to say all the time, this too shall pass. <laughs> that is powerful. Yes, it is. And so that's one of the things that I, I continuously tell myself. So it's not like I'm just preparing before the day. It's constantly happening throughout the day. For me, I know like after we finish here, it's going to be one of those times that I need to decompress and figure out what did I just say during this time. And just so that I can prepare myself to get back out there uh, and continue doing the work. Because part of my job, it's not just supervising. It's actually trying to make their life easier in terms so that they can actually do their work easier. So I will provide as many systems, as many policies in an effort to actually make their life easier. It's not, I just want to add this to make it a little bit harder for you. It's with the understanding that this should work to actually relieve some of the stress that you're going through. Because even though I'm preparing myself today, I have to make sure my staff is on that same page because I don't need them, you know, either flipping out or losing control for any reason. I love how you serve those you lead. I was just thinking about this the other day. I was talking to someone, how leading is no joke. I mean, true leadership is serving those around you and having a pulse on their needs, which is what uh, you're talking about. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Now, Alberto, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? I just had this conversation the other day with one of my staff. I would consider myself one of those educationally late bloomers. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of experience for many years. I've been doing this work for over 25 years. And the one thing that I was lacking was my degree. So I didn't have a college degree. Um, I was able to be, I would say, somewhat successful 
for a large part of my life. But again, going back to when my brother passed away, something just triggered. And I realized, you know what? I need to go back to school and finish. But it took me a while. It was one of those challenges that I knew I had to do it. But I was so focused on just making sure that we had money, that school was like one of those things. Okay, I'll do it later. And eventually it came to that time where I figured, you know what? I need to do it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to stop putting this off till later. And it was one of those things like, I'll be happy if I just got an associate. That's how basically it started. So I reached that. The next year I got my bachelor's. And then I was like, all right, that's it. I don't have to do anything for the rest of my life, you know? And then in 2016, I realized, hmm, maybe I should continue this. I always wanted to get my master's. School wasn't something that scared me. It was just more of a time thing. So it's always been like, okay, I would love to get my PhD at some point. Mm-hmm. But I got the opportunity to get my master's. And it was a program that was across the street from my job. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this can't get any <laughs> You were set up to win. Um, <laughs> Yes. And so I went into the program wholeheartedly and I received my master's. And now I'm back in this thing. It's like a constant challenge of trying to continuously keep myself educated. Mm-hmm. And so now I have that dilemma, like my next challenge is, do I go for a PhD or do I just get a master's <laughs> or do I do a certificate? So I consider that a challenge because it's something that as leaders, some tend to forget that it's an ongoing learning that actually keeps you at the head of your game and helps actually help you coach the staff that you're working with. Because if you're not constantly learning and you're not in that mindset of, you know, we're a lifelong learner, it's going to be difficult to actually continue coaching and trying to teach people. Hey, leaders, if you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top-level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. I have to say, I mean, your tenacity and your resiliency has helped push you towards these goals that you have. Yeah, it's taken me time to actually fully buy into that. But little by little, I'm learning to accept it. Great. Now, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? Sure. When I first started doing this kind of leadership work, I was looking to coach people and constantly encourage and guide them towards becoming something more than they were. And one of the things that I always tell them is, look, if you are a janitor right now and 20 years from now, you can look back and say, I'm happy I stayed a janitor, then fine. But if there's even one little ounce of regret and you're not sure that you will regret it, I would say take a chance in what you're doing. And one one of my former employees was actually started off as an assistant, basically. Little by little, you know, she decided, okay, I want to go back to school. She actually received a bachelor's degree, but she was a little hesitant about moving forward from the position of an assistant. And what I consider one of my greatest successes, besides finally graduating from school, was actually watching this person end up taking one of my previous director positions. And it was one of those things I, I did have to like- You were like a proud papa. Her. Yeah, and, and, and funny enough, she's older than me. So it was like, okay, okay. I'm gonna keep pushing you because I know you're ready. The question is, do you want to do this? You know, she took the job on and she actually did much better than I think even she expected to do. And she realized like, okay, I can do this. So that for me was what I feel like is one of my greatest successes because I was able to help someone 
get to that next level. I continued doing that actually at my previous job. And it was one of those things that I focused on a few people that I felt were ready. In my previous job, I had two people who were counselors, just regular after school counselors. And they had their degrees, but just for whatever reason decided, you know, I just want to do this. I don't really want to do anything else. I'm fine. So little by little, I started moving them up. And when I actually left my previous job, they were actually directors of their own program. So it's something that I carried over from that first time. I like that feeling of watching someone succeed and somebody reach their potential at that point, but also helping them continue past that. One of the big things for me has always been, you know, it took me forever to go to school, but it doesn't mean that you should not at least attempt to go, even if it's one class at a time. So I see those successes in others as part of my greatest successes, just because I felt like I had some play in that, even if it was a very small one. Again, it goes back to my own help the world one person at a time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you continue to speak the language that really speaks to my heart, and that's coaching. You keep mentioning coaching. Mm -hmm. How important is that in leadership, that you learn how to coach? Personally, I think it's key. I think one of the things as a leader is to actually be able to pass on your experiences to others so that they can develop themselves. I think it actually builds a culture of caring. It instills in workers that, okay, they do care for me. They do care about where I go. You know, it's not just about you know, make money for us or sell a program for us. It's more than that. It's trying to make sure that you reach your fullest potential. Hopefully it will be with us, but if not, at least somebody will benefit from the work that you do. So that's why I see coaching as being an integral part of leadership because that's the only way you're going to get people to continue to grow on their own. Some people need that push and that guidance. I know I did. Even it was people just asking, when are you going back to school? That in itself was a push for me. And some people just need that. They just need to know that someone cares enough to ask the question. Yeah. And you know, Alberto, as a teacher, I've been in teaching for years. Um, and it wasn't until not long ago that I realized the difference between teaching and coaching. Whereas teaching, we tend to pour things into people. Coaching, you're pulling things out of people. Yep. And there's a clear distinction. And I had to, as a teacher, as an educator, learn how powerful that is to ask those questions. I appreciate you speaking into that. So what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think focusing on the work itself and the impact that that work has. For us, it's working with the community. So it's very easy to fall into that trap of being discouraged and overwhelmed and not feeling like anybody's appreciating your work. But I think it always comes back, and I try to do this with my staff, obviously, when they get into that rut, where um, it's more than just the work. We see it as a job and something that we're doing to get paid. But the impact, it's incredible. I just had a conversation literally about five minutes before we started. And it was a senior telling me about one person who's actually leaving. Uh, they decided on their own they needed to try something else. But they decided that they want to continue helping us, you know, especially with the seniors program. And the senior came up to me and was saying about all these little things that this person has done that has impacted her life and has made her actually want to continue coming out. It was as simple as just standing by the door and saying hello when they came in. All these little things. And that's what I try to help my directors in particular focus on. 
that just saying hi has a huge impact. So although you may be frustrated at this time that something may not be working the way you want, you always consider the people you're serving. It's something that will get you through the day as you start coming in and you get into that mindset, okay, I'm here to help this person. Not that it'll solve the issues, but at least it'll put you in a different place. Your perspective will be different just because you're looking at it from that lens of, I'm here to help others. It's not just about what I need and you know what's making me frustrated. Like I said, it doesn't solve the issue. It's just more putting things in perspective and trying to understand that it's bigger work. Obviously, my suggestion would be always to find a mentor, somebody that you can continue to bounce ideas from and have those conversations. But simple things like just doing little morale boosters. I love doing something that I call random acts of kindness, where each month I just pick one person that we decide to thank. I'll get them something like an edible arrangement or something, or something simple. For one of our maintenance staff, it was something as simple as getting them a tool belt just to say thank you and that we recognize what you're doing. That usually helps people get out of that rut for a little bit. Obviously, there needs to be follow-up, but that's something that I would tell my directors and other leaders. Find something that you see is actually working. Focus on that. I learned from Kyle, you always focus on your strengths because that's going to help you work through your weaknesses. And it's something that I kept with me. You know, often days that I come in and I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be hard. And even though I'm preparing myself as I'm getting here, I get here and it's like, do I really want to do this today? <laughs> yeah, but then I have to remind myself, this is why I'm doing it. So it's being able to refocus and remember what was your ultimate purpose for coming here. One of the things I asked my directors when I first came here, besides doing a personal SWOT analysis, is actually to um, create their own mission statement. Like, what is your mission statement? What is your vision of success? And have them actually write it out. And this is the purpose for you coming here to work. It's not your paycheck. <laughs> you know, obviously, some pick it up faster than others. Some, it takes a little while, even though they wrote it and they think that that's the reason. Some of them don't fully buy into it or there are other issues. But it's a way to start thinking about how they're going to make it through those tough times. Mm-hmm. Great. Now, you said focus on your strengths. Many times what we do instead is we focus to strengthen our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Why focus on your strength? You just need that little ounce of positivity. I, I watched a TED Talk, and I actually been using it for a while from Rita Pearson. And there's one part that I always play for my staff where she's talking about a child who took a test and they got two out of 10, right? I believe it was. And for her, it was trying to, you know, make sure the kid had something to build off. So instead of putting minus eight, she put plus two. Mm -hmm. And when the kid asked her, did he fail? She said, yes, you failed. Because she also drew a happy face. And she was like, so why did you draw the happy face? She was like, because you got two right. You're on a roll. You know, Mm -hmm. and that change in how you actually just gave that information changes the outcome of how they're going to move forward. You know, obviously, we don't know how the kid did the next time. But Mm -hmm. just hearing those words gives you the idea of, yes, maybe you shouldn't be always putting everything in a negative tone or or language. Sometimes just changing it to a positive can affect everything. Mm -hmm. So that's why I believe leading with the strengths is always helpful in dealing with those weaknesses. Because as you build up that confidence, you start figuring out new ways. Oh, maybe I should try this next time. You're more likely to actually decide, you know, maybe I should ask somebody else. Like, how would they deal with this? Because now you have a different mindset. Mindset is not necessarily like, 
this is never going to work. It's going to fail. And it's very easy to fall into that. Yes. And get stuck in the negativity. I appreciate that. That's great advice. Now, Alberto, I received your leadership statement and you describe yourself as a lifelong learner. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? I'm learning my new organization. I've been here now for a few months. So that is the primary focus right now, just trying to learn the history, learn the culture, learn how the foundation is set. So that's been my focus now. But outside of my work life, I mean, for me, it's constantly reading, whether it's a Harvard Business Review article, whether it's books on leadership, whether it's just having conversations with other leaders, or other people that I know and, and I trust their judgment. That to me is constantly learning, working with my staff. I mean, I'm not one of those people that's going to stand here and say, I know it all. Sometimes I will learn just as much from my staff as they learn from me. So it's a give and take. And you have to be willing to admit that you don't know something. It's kind of like teachers. You're more likely to have your students learn if you're willing to say, you know what, I made a mistake. This is wrong. <laughs> Let's just start all over again. It's not like you're the perfect person and you're never wrong. I think once they realize that, it changes the dynamics. One of the things that I've been doing lately is meeting with a small group of my reports. And we're doing in-service learning. And a lot of it has to do with best practices, especially with youth. And it's hearing from them, like some of the stories that they've gone through, how they deal with staff. And I see it as great, feeding me information. That's more tools that I can add to my tool belt. And the goal is to have as many tools as possible. One of the things we usually learn is that I may have one approach for dealing with a child, and it may work with most children, but this happened recently when I went to one of my off-site after-school programs. And I'm watching one of the counselors, you know, maybe been working with kids for a year. They did something to get the kid's attention that I was like, oh, I've never tried that before. That's actually pretty creative. And so those things like that are always happening. But if we're not actively believing that we're constantly learning, it's easy to miss because you're focusing on all the other things. That's why I feel like I am a lifelong learner. I'm constantly learning. I feel like I'm learning more even as we're speaking today. And sometimes it's just a matter of being reminded of things. So that's why I consider myself a lifelong learner. And I feel like that's going to continue. It's just something that I feel has always been in me, just trying to learn new things, just as much information as possible. Sometimes it is what we would call useless information, but for me, it's okay. It catches my interest. So I want to learn more about it. Great. Now, what have you read that our listeners should read and why? Monday Morning Leadership by David Cottrell. Mm-hmm. It actually talks about transitioning from employee to a manager or like manager to a leader. And the book goes through the experience of a new leader and his mentor. And it goes through the experiences of being that leader, working through challenges, and strategically developing his own toolkit to handle leadership challenges. It's a Monday morning coffee meeting, basically. Mm. Uh, The person's going to this mentor's house on a regular basis in the morning, once a week. They're having coffee, and it's just a setup as a discussion more than anything else. But through those discussions, they're working through challenges that this person is having at their job. And the mentor is going through different strategies. He's not at all trying to solve the strategy. He's just making this new leader realize, like, these are the things that you're doing. Can that be the reason why? And having the leader actually go through these steps. And through the book, he actually gives homework out that he has to do, like he may suggest trying to speak somebody in a different way or a different tone. 
And so his homework is to come back and share how did it go with this different tone and different approach. I think it's a really good book. I believe he has several other books that are actually in the same family, but it's actually one of the last ones that I read that I felt, wow, this is actually pretty good. It helps us to become more self-aware and reflective. And it also shows why it's important to actually try to find a mentor or somebody who can at least help you out when things are a little rough, you know? Right. Thank you so much. Now, if there were something you could change in education in the U.S., what would that be? Oof. The big thing right now is the equity versus equitable a challenge in terms of funding. I think the funding is hampering a lot of what's going on with education. Sometimes it's just a matter of how the funds are being distributed. So I think that is impacting education because you have some districts that are definitely underfunded and then you have other districts that are receiving adequate funds. And then you have more well-to-do school districts that the parents can themselves provide additional support. But then you have these other poorer communities where parents do not have that. And so now you're talking about all these additional resources, all these enrichment programs they don't typically get, you know, music, art, and things like that. Of course, now here in New York, we have this influx of money for after-school programs. And that is great to continue that learning after school. But there's nothing like when that takes place during school time. It's kind of like removing that recreation time. If kids don't have a time to actually decompress, it's hard for them to continue learning. And we're talking about six hours of basically just receiving this information. And we're hoping that they'll be able to, you know, remember all of this at the end for the test. And that makes a challenge. They need things that will engage their minds, that'll give them a chance to actually have more time for social emotional learning, just time to talk with friends so that they can get back to actually doing work. And I feel like that's one of the things that should be considered as one of the things that may need to change. You mentioned social emotional learning. How important is that? It's important for everything. I mean, if you consider some of the issues that we have, mainly for me, it's not a scientific research or anything, but I feel like a lot of the issues that we have are based off of not having the time to develop those social emotional skills. Um, You know, I remember growing up, you know, you you have a fight in the yard, you you have a chance to actually talk about it. You know, at this point, there really are no fights in the yards. I mean, pretty much what happens is what we saw the other day on TV in Florida, where people just take it to a whole different level. And I think social emotional gives children the chance to work through their conflicts and talk them out and figure out how they're going to solve them. Does it work all the time? Not necessarily, but at least it gives them those skills to actually know we can talk this out and negotiate it, right. you know, but a lot of them are not coming out of school with those skills anymore. Right. Great. Thank you so much for that. Now, Alberto, many leaders put in long hours. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give about maintaining balance? <laughs> One of the struggles here has been, I really do believe once I walk out the door, I'm turning off everything. It is a challenge because you definitely want to stay connected. We're open seven days a week. So things are constantly happening. And I'm not saying that I actually do not read my emails. I'm reading them. But unless it's something like major, I'm not responding. And it's mainly because I just don't want to get involved in the whole thing. For me, it's like, all right, we have Monday. It'll be here soon. We can work through that. Obviously, in my position, I have to be in the know of what's going on, uh, especially if it's like a major injury or stuff like that. And it's taken time, especially because in this organization for a few months, and I know I have to try to catch up, but I still believe that I need that time. I have a 
10 month old now. Oh, congratulations. You know, thank you. It's changed how I view things and time specifically. And so now I have to make it a point that I'm going to have to shut off for a little bit just to do that. It is difficult. I know from experience, if you get bombarded with 150 emails a day, it's kind of hard to ignore, <laughs> but it is more literally turning the phone off just so that you're not having to constantly hear it go off. Self-care is so important if we're going to effectively do the work that we need to do. Part of that is turning off. Part of that is focusing on our family and making sure that we're taking care of ourselves. So thank you so much for that. Now, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Probably that it's a lot more challenging than what you think it is. A bit often when you're younger and you're just considering being a leader, you're like, oh, I would love to be the leader so I can tell people what to do and all this. It's not quite like that. And it's realizing that the way you communicate, the way you're perceived, the way that you actually role model is more important. And being able to realize that at first, it took me a little while. And luckily I had a good boss to actually walk me through those steps of understanding that it's not just about giving people orders. It's actually showing that you're willing to do what you're asking them to do whether it's cleaning up a room or anything like that, that's just an example. They need to know that that's going to actually happen, that you're just not barking orders and that you're going to consider some of the things that they're going through. And so I feel like that's, and I lost my train of thought. Because you put yourself in the frame of mind of the younger you and you weren't listening to yes. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember that. It's like, oh, how was it? It is a challenge. There's so much that I could tell myself to try to prepare myself for the older me. Those things would be, Probably the first thing is just to realize that it's not just about telling people what to do. It's more of guiding them and actually being able to explain it, basically becoming a teacher and how you lead so that people not only understand, but are able to do it moving forward. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you so much for that. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't touched on? It's a few things I like to do in order to not only help with culture, but also help with leadership, it actually is something that I learned in grad school, and it's the acronym is MBWA. So it's managed by walking around. So being able to get out of the office and actually walk around and actually see what's going on and interact with not only the staff, but with your members or your participants, your families, so that they can not only see you, but you can actually see them. You actually can put a face to the work that you're actually doing. I feel it's necessary to kind of refocus you and ground you in the work that you're doing. You want to be aware of who's actually getting impacted by what you're doing, you know, because it's very easy sometimes. And I know it's one of the things that I had a hard time when I first became a leader was I don't get to see the people that I'm doing the work for anymore. You get into your office and you're trying to do all this paperwork and it's easy to forget, you know, those little kids that are looking forward to actually being part of your program uh, or the seniors that are looking forward to being able to socialize. And so managing by walking around for me is key. I mean, it's something that I actually add to my daily calendar, whether it's half an hour or several half an hours throughout the day so that I can remind myself, okay, it's time to get up and actually see what's happening. In leadership-wise, it actually helps. I mean, your staff starts noticing you're coming around. It's a chance for them to do like little check-ins with you and keep you up to date with what's going on, if there's any issues. It's a way for you to actually help continue to guide them with things that you've been going over with them during supervision meetings. 
And I love it because it helps you to continue to connect, you know, in a stronger way and to build those relationships. So thank you so much for that. And Alberto, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Thank you. All right, Alberto. Thank you. Take care. Right. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.